Welcome to Trading Tomorrow, Navigating Trends in Capital Markets. I'm your host, Jim Jockel. In my decade plus of working with Numerics, a global leader in capital markets risk management technology, I have launched our Thought Leadership Division, a place where insights, innovation, and expertise converge, just like this podcast. Through my journey in the financial realm, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how the capital markets landscape has transformed. The complex dance of market trends and innovative technology has redefined how the finance industry operates. With game-changing innovations just around the corner, we now stand at a crossroads, one where it is more crucial than ever to understand the interplay between these realms. That's what we do here. We talk about current and future processes and technologies you need to be aware of moving forward. As I've said before, AI seems to be the technology of the year, but one subfield of AI in particular has the potential to transform investing. Machine learning. It's not just changing the game, it's rewriting the rulebook. Imagine a financial advisor who works tirelessly around the clock, analyzing vast amounts of data, identifying trends, and making informed investment decisions. Well, that's precisely what machine learning is bringing to the table. In this episode, we'll explore how artificial intelligence and data-driven algorithms are changing the way we navigate the complex landscape of stocks, bonds, and everything in between. And joining me to discuss machine learning and finance further is Shandini Jain. She's the CEO of Oquan, an AI innovator transforming vast unstructured data into actionable intelligence for financial services customers such as UBS and Federated Hermes. The company was named the hottest fintech startup in Europe at the Europas. Former derivatives trader Sandrini left the industry back in 2017 to start Oquant, where she uses cutting-edge machine learning and deep learning techniques to solve financial prediction problems. Sandrini has a master's in mechanical engineering and computational science from the University of Illinois. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's just kick off the conversation with a, a few questions about Oquan. Um, where did you get the idea for this type of technology and what was the, the gap that you were trying to fill? Yeah. So before Oquan, I used to work for a fund in Chicago um, as a trader. Um, There's a company called Octaver. Uh, they're one of the largest uh, market makers in the world, actually. And uh, we were big consumers of data in that fund. And um, as we were looking to build my book, we basically subscribed to everything, anything that we thought could help us make better decisions, um, broker research, outside research, uh, news, obviously, uh, information the company was disclosing. And we very quickly got into a situation where we just had way more information that was coming on my desk than we had bandwidth in a day to read. Um, like I was reading all the time and all the analysts on my desk were reading all the time and we still just couldn't get through everything. Um, almost to the point that it became a source of almost personal anxiety that I have a position on and I just don't know everything about it. And I, I know that that report came in and maybe if I knew, if I'd read that, I might have uh, found something that I overlooked. So that's when we started thinking about this problem of how can you optimize your information flow, uh, basically in this world of potentially unlimited data, unlimited bandwidth, limited resources, how can you make sure that you get to the information that is the most relevant, the most material for your use case quickly and cut through the noise? And that's how uh, we came up. We started thinking about building up. 
Well, perhaps you can give us an example of um, a big event or, or situation that Oquan helped uh, a client avoid. Yeah, there's a few, but I'll, I'll give you the one that we actually use the most um, often because it, it resonates quite a bit. Um, there's a company called uh, Teleperformance. It's the provider of content moderation services to companies like TikTok. And last year, um, in November, the companies have suffered a 30% drop in their stock price because they were accused of having poor working conditions, of labor abuse. Um, now, what's interesting is all of Aquan's customers actually knew about that almost nine months before that happened. Um, because in December of 2021, two former content moderators of TikTok um, sued the company for psych psychological trauma. And at the time, even though teleperformance was not named in any anywhere, um, because of the way our system works, we were able to, one, we were able to catch that information. And two, we were able to identify using an ecosystem mapping that um, this information relates to teleperformance. This was in December. Uh, and obviously, at that point, this was like a low-risk information. It was more of a uh, kind of nice to know that this is happening. But then those lawsuits kept piling up. And by March, a lot more content moderators of TikTok had sued the company. Um, and uh, this entire time, teleperformance was not even named. But then in, um, I'd say, August, uh, I mean, my, my time might be off, off by a month or so. But in August, um, there was a major report that came out in Forbes that was talking about how... Uh, these content moderators who work for TikTok had to watch uh, disturbing videos of childhood abuse. Um, and that is the first time teleperformance was actually named. Um, and we, I heard all of our clients to say this is actually a very high risk situation for teleperformance. And then a couple of months later, uh, Time Magazine did another expose. This was specifically now aimed at teleperformance, saying that these content moderators work in Colombia, they're underpaid, um, they're monitored through video, um, they're made to watch these disturbing videos. Um, and post that, the Colombian government announced an investigation into teleperformance. Uh, the stock price dropped. The company came out and said they, they are going to exit this part of the business. So that entire revenue line got written off. And what, what is interesting here is if you followed a traditional research workflow, you would have you would have missed the entire early lawsuit bit because there, there would have just been so much information that you were looking at. You wouldn't even have realized that this information could be material to you. And even if you realized it, let's say in August, you might not have acted upon it in time. Um, just because again, that problem of just so much information being generated. So the way our system works in one, collecting a lot of information for our customers that they would otherwise be doing manually and processing it and cleaning it and filtering out the noise and surfacing for them, one, what is most material? Also sometimes things that are just not obviously connected. Um, that helps them avoid these kinds of situations. That's uh, probably one of the the, the best examples I, uh, I've uh, ever heard in, in in these types of uh, cases. That that's actually incredible. Uh, you know, so as so perhaps you can just give the listeners a sense of how this all all, all kind of comes together, and 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 you know, and and for you know, because there is so much noise, uh, and we're bombarded with it. Um, you know, and how is that helping investors? You know gather different insights, creating custom data sense. And, you know, um, and, you know, if we, if we look at one specific instance, how long would this process take, you know, if you, with or without your software? Yeah. So um, in most cases, without our software, there would be a team of analysts doing this in-house, doing this manually, basically. And uh, I mean, the, the uh, analysts who work at investment banks, who work at asset managers, who work at private equity firms, they're uh, they're ama amazing. They're incredible. They're uh, very smart people, um, highly compensated, very talented, very highly trained. And then they just end up spending so much of their time just collecting information. 
um, like you talk to them and they'll say, we just spend so much time uh, scouring the internet, trying to find data points which could be relevant to an investment decision that we're trying to make. And I'd like, so a lot of time would just be spent that I'm looking at this company. Let me try and identify if this company is um, has any regulatory fines anywhere. Does this company have any any ongoing lawsuits that could affect the valuation of the company? Uh, who are the suppliers for this company? Is there anything questionable with this company's supply chain? And all of that work is done today uh, manually. So, I mean, at your time estimate, you look you were, we're talking weeks um, to collect this kind of information just because one. There is just so much information that is being published now that you have to look at. But also, second, um, what we're hearing from a lot of our customers, they're realizing in a world that is increasingly interconnected, it is not enough to look at just the company anymore. Um, you have to look at the entire company value chain. You have to look at what the company's subsidiaries are doing. You have to look at where the company's supply chain is, where is the company sourcing its raw materials from, um, what are the company's customers? Are, are there any threats to the company's revenue based on like any macro trends that might be happening in its in its customer base? And all of that then just adds to that information overload uh, problem. So I, you know, I, I guess one of the questions always is the the data or the underlying data itself and 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 different access points into the data. I mean, how how is a platform like yours, you know, connecting into such a vast ecosystem? Yeah. So it's. Uh... Uh, that's a question we get all the time. Um, so you you guys claim that you can surface so much information. How are you actually doing it if, you know, uh, our internal analysts can't get through it? And that's really where the role of AI and automation comes in. If you think about uh, a research workflow, it just starts with identifying where relevant information could exist, uh, then collecting that information, uh, bringing it in-house, cleaning that information, doing lots of like joins across different data sets to say, um, Actually, when you say Apple, when then you, when you say Apple Link, and when you say Apple Limited, they're all talking about the same company. So all of this information is about the same company. That work doesn't have to be done manually. All of that work can be left to um, to machines to do. You you can automate the data. Again, you can automate connecting to relevant data sets. You can automate uh, bringing the information in house and cleaning it. And then even the lower level cognitive work which is just understanding, basic understanding of all of these references are actually about the same company. All of these data points are actually relevant to a company. This data point mentions LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is a subsidiary of Microsoft, so this data point is relevant to Microsoft. You can also leverage AI to do that. Um, and then what you need for um, these extremely trained analysts is just that higher value analysis, uh, drawing conclusions, making decisions, um, making predictions, which is what they're actually good at. So that's really the principle that Ocon system works on. Uh, we connect to over 2 million sources of information online. And um, all of these are data sources that we think could have anything, mate anything material, anything relevant from a financial perspe perspective. Um, so it's everything from company filings, regulatory filings, uh, government databases on, let's say, health and safety fines, any um, financial, uh, financial fines, allegations of corruption, bribery, money laundering. Um, international sanction list, NGO reports, um, news, very local source of news as well, sell-side research, um, industry research. So a lot of data which could be financially relevant. We bring it all in-house and we run it through uh, our, our RAG AI system. RAG is um, basically retrieval augmented generation. It's, um, it's a technology that is pioneered by Meta, which overcomes all of these shortcomings of generative AI that have prevented widespread adoption in financial services. Um, and then from running it through the RAG AI system, we are able to, one, create an underlying data store of information that is relevant to a company, but also clean out all, a lot of the noise, information that is 
uh, not about the company that is not financially material that is uh, that doesn't solve for a person's use case um, and once we have that underlying store of information on the company then when a user comes in we understand that user's um, context um, so we would be able to understand if you're logging in as a private equity analyst or if you're logging in as somebody who works in KYB in an investment bank because you will want very different types of information um, the the example that I give about that cleaning up of noise and customizing it to a use case is if you went and searched for Nokia on Google right now, you would see everything from um, here's how my new Nokia 6600 does to the Black Friday deals on Nokia to Nokia Laser 5000 stuff. Um, the only thing that is financially relevant is Nokia Laser 5000 stuff. So somebody from the financial world, you don't want to see the other two. You only want to see, uh, because otherwise I'm just creating information overload for you by connecting to lots of data sources. Um, but then what you also want for example, if you were searching for information on Microsoft, and now we, we're only left with financially relevant information, um, let's say you had two things. One said uh, the cloud revenues of Microsoft or some projection of cloud, revenue, or cloud revenues of Microsoft and how they would do against AWS. And the, uh, the other piece of data was talking about the decarbonization strategy that Microsoft has in place. Um, an equity and research analyst cares about the first one, but the, a sustainability analyst cares about the second one. So to be able to customize even further so that a user sees information that is relevant, financially material, but also customized specifically to their use case um, to save them loads of time. Oh, as, as, a, as a former trader, how, I'm sure you wish you had Oakland back when you were a trader. How much of you know, your and your team uh, uh, and, and your, your expert knowledge and experience is critical in the training of, of the AI to get to that level of appropriate information. No, it is it is super important. That is actually one of our uh, very specific modes in the business. Uh, you have a lot of generic AI systems that are able to do the basic filtering, but to be able to look at data sets and say, this information is financially relevant and this information is not financially relevant. This information is relevant for this use case. This information is not relevant for this use case. Um, even simple things like I talked about the connected ecosystem that we're able to connect information about suppliers, about subsidiaries. But um, let's say we all know that TSMC is one of the suppliers uh, to Apple. Um, but knowing that anything about you know TSMC announces new sustainability initiatives is not relevant to Apple. But saying TSMC uh, foresees a shortfall in chip production next quarter is relevant to Apple because that actually directly affects Apple. So there's a lot of these nuances when I say. Um, cleaning up noise, identifying information that is relevant, uh, identifying information that is customized for a use case, which ha which started with obviously my expertise, but over time have required my team's expertise who are qualified in, in being able to answer some of these questions. And then also our customers' expertise who, has, who have helped us figure out uh, what information is relevant, what information is not relevant, what, what information helped them make a good decision, what information is something they could not see. And all of that is baked into our system today. Um, that's why that's what makes it performant. So, how are you looking to transform investing? Uh, we want to make it uh, faster. We want to make it more cost efficient, and we want to help our customers identify information that they otherwise wouldn't have access to because it is coming from sources they wouldn't have looked in before, or it's coming from uh, connections that they wouldn't have known about before. So uh, I, I I would be remiss if I if I didn't ask uh, a couple tough questions, but you know what are what are some of the pitfalls uh, of using the, these types of technologies? So I mentioned uh, retrieval augmented generation, um, and that is something that uh, we so 
when we start, we started the company, we started with, uh, we started five years back. So we started with the uh, natural language processing because that's what everybody uh, used to do then. And then uh, BERT came out and language models came out and then we progressed to uh, language models and then large language models came out and then we progressed to large language models. And then everybody's seen the general uh, shortcomings of generative AI. Um, I think the, the fact that they have a, a standard out-of-the-box large language model has a training cut date, which means anything that happened beyond that date is not uh, baked into the response that it is giving you. Um, the fact that they tend to hallucinate and they tend to give you uh, linguistically coherent but uh, factually inaccurate responses. So I think as a general sense, I would say that uh, just being aware of the limitations of the model that you're deploying is extremely important. Otherwise, you might end up um, misleading your customers or giving them uh, inaccurate information, which is, a, is is an absolute no-no in financial services. If you, for example, if you're developing a, a risk AI co-pilot uh, for, an, for a risk manager to help them understand the risk of their portfolio investments, you have to make sure that the information is based on the most accurate data, it factors in the most recent uh, macro changes like interest rate hikes, it factors in any uh, changes to regulation, it factors in any changes to company-specific information. Uh, you have to make sure the information is actually accurate. It is coming from credible sources, uh, right? Otherwise, they will not deploy it. Or if they do deploy it in production, um, it will they, it could lead to uh, significant losses, it could lead to regulatory fines. Um, so I think recognizing that for any uh, any such system, to be worthy of financial services use case, it needs to, it 100% needs to be credible and accurate and timely is important. And then making sure that the technology that you use is actually able to uh, fulfill those needs is necessary. So we started experimenting with large language models, but then we realized that they have these limitations. Um, so we can't actually deploy them into production. And we waited until we found something that we thought was the answer to uh, timely, credible, and accurate. Um, and that's where the whole uh, retrieval augmented generation comes in. It's um, you'll hear hear about it a lot, I'm sure, in the next in in the upcoming year as everybody else starts to realize the challenges of uh, generative AI for enterprise. Uh, that was a long winded answer to your question. I just get very excited when I talk about this. No, I, uh, your passion is totally coming through, and I, and I, and I love it because you're getting me excited about it. And so, I, you know, as someone in uh, capital markets technology, um, you know, we're still seeing institutions who have trouble moving to the cloud, um, and you know, and and putting mission critical systems uh, on public clouds and things of that nature. You know, what what are some of the barriers or blockers um, for financial institutions in terms of fully embracing uh, these types of new technologies? No, I think uh, first I would say just from from my side. Uh and at Oakman, I think anybody else who's selling technology, it is uh, good to recognize that we're not selling technology. Uh, financial institutions don't buy on the promise of, promise of this is world-changing technology or this is like some really cool uh, technology that's hyped. They buy on a, a, a value. They buy on a problem that you're solving for them. So uh, when I am selling to my customers, I'm not selling them like large language models or generative AI or AI even. We're selling them um, a way to drive efficiency in their workflows. We're selling them a way to save time. We're selling them a way to find information faster than they, they have been able to. We're selling them a way to find information that they uh, previously didn't have access to. And I think I, that probably is the first barrier in selling to financial institutions is recognizing that they're not buying technology. They're buying a solution to a problem that they had to a workflow. Um, and then it is obviously this, you know, everything that you've probably heard before. Uh, they These institutions, they're slow by design. Um, 
I don't want my bank to be innovative. I want my bank to not fail and I want it to be safe, right? So, uh, which means that there, there is a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of control and there's a lot of testing um, before they will onboard a solution, uh, all for good merit. Um, there are long procurement cycles because they have to make sure that everything, because they're regulated, they have to make sure that everything that they do uh, is actually okay by the regulator. Um, so that means as a startup, when you're selling to a financial institution, you, ha you have to be prepared to be uh, one enterprise ready to sell. Um, you, have, you have to make sure you have the right protocols in place. You actually fulfill the enterprise requirements and second, you just have to be prepared for long sales cycle. Well, uh, sadly, we've we've got to the final question of this podcast. Um, you know, we call this uh, segment here the trend drop. Uh, it's like a desert island type question. Um, so if, if you could track only one way to use um, uh, AI and ML technology within the markets, uh, what would it be and why? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's the problem that we're trying to solve because obviously that problem excites me. I mean, up until now, we didn't have the ability to have natural language understanding, uh, right? And it's only in the last two years that we built that ability. But what that means is a lot of these knowledge-intensive workflows in financial services, things like equity research, credit research, but and also things like um, KYB, onboarding a customer, doing assessment of credit to decide if you want to give loan to a counterparty. Um, these are inherently just time-consuming and cumbersome. Uh, like I, I joke around with my friends, but nobody ever grows up saying, you know what I want to be? I want to be that guy that approves if a company should get a loan or not. Like that's just not fun to do. So to be able to provide an assist, um, an AI-enabled assist to um, a lot of people who, who have those jobs, uh, that helps them be more efficient in their work, that helps them um, automate a lot of the mundane, the time-consuming, the cumbersome, the not fun parts of their job and focus their time on the the higher value analysis, the things which actually we as humans are good at drawing conclusions, making decisions. Um, if I had to track one thing, that's what I would track. How have we been able to free up people's time using AI? Uh, well, let, let's just hope no loan processors are listening to the podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They, well, you know, first and foremost, I, I want to uh, want to thank you. I mean, this was illuminating. I think you know the the whole goal for us is to spark ideas and 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 talk with people who are bringing new and exciting thing things into this world and creating. And and you certainly are doing that. And so, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you, thank you for this opportunity. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Coming up next week, we'll talk about increased volatility, how it's changed the energy market, and the way some companies trade. It's a can't miss. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, a like, and check out our other episodes. Thanks for joining.